0: This is That's in the Bible.com.
1: That's in the Bible, episode number 80. God or Goo, a biblical and scientific investigation of our past. are here,
0: men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, now is that stay? Humbling your hearts to God, Satan the chastening rod. Pilgrims, Christians away. Jesus
1: is Hello and welcome back to That's in the Bible. My name is Eric. I'm glad you could join us today. We've got a fascinating show for you today. It's called God or Goo. We're going to take a look at some scientific investigations into our past. And so I'm glad you could join us for that today. And... Heading that up will be Dr. Joel Brown. And uh, Dr. Joel Brown,
2: how are you today? I'm doing great. It's uh, great to be with you.
1: Now, I, I, I like giving all your stats and, you know, official scientific uh, credentials. You we, 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 we have a Ph.D. in, in genetics um, from Cornell University. Is that correct?
2: That's right. I spent uh, really the last six years... Uh, I'm now in St. Louis, Missouri, but I spent the last six years up in Ithaca, New York, working on that PhD. It was overall a very uh, rewarding experience. Had a lot, had a great time doing it.
1: I'm glad you could join us. And so, you know, with those credentials, we're not. It's not like uh, fly by night university. Cornell is, uh, you know, pretty well known, pretty well respected as well.
2: Yeah, they and they they do a lot of great research up there. It's they. Unfortunately, just like nearly all big-name universities, it's highly secularized, Mm -hmm. and that just comes with the territory.
1: Well, I'm glad you were able to infiltrate and, uh, you know, get that education along with being a Bible believer. So, we're looking forward to the the information that you have to bring us today. And speaking of well-educated and respected, where do I go next? (laughs) Matt. (laughs) Matt. not here <laughs> speaking of matthew matt matt up there in the arctic in the cold i should have had the wind sound effect for you but how are things today
3: or the polar bear or some the polar bear attacking somebody or i don't know <laughs> i'm doing good i'm doing good I, I was thinking about as uh joel was saying that that he enjoyed uh, school I, I i'm total opposite i hated college <laughs> i just have an associates and uh in uh, radiology technology and and i enjoy the field i don't do it anymore i did it for 11 years as an x-ray technologist but uh but i do have a bachelor's in divinity so that 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 i enjoyed that i enjoyed so um but uh yeah it's good to be here
1: now that that associates you know when i think of associates i think of just like a two-year degree but that was that was there was a lot packed into that two plus right because you did summers as well
3: Yeah, that was, in a way, a little over three years packed into the two just because, yeah, I mean, we didn't really have much of a summer. uh, And uh, what we would do is we would uh, do the schooling um, during the nighttime. And because we were right in Sare PA, right at the Robert Packer Hospital. And so we would have class classes at nighttime and then we would um, we would have clinicals in during the day in the morning. And so it was a full day and, uh, you know, it was, it was definitely, I would say 10 hours, something like that a day. Uh, Mm. it was a lot. So, but, but, you know, it was really good. It came out and was able to, um, you know, really do a good job at work. And I'm not saying because I have any skill, I'm just saying because I was, it was a really good program. So even though (laughs) I hated it,
1: (laughs) (laughs) do do you have to keep up your certification or is that something that's going to be hard to do where you're at and up in Alaska?
3: I do. And and I, and I have kept it up just in case Uh, there is talk about possibly getting an x-ray machine out here uh, in this village. They've been talking about it for a while, expanding the clinic, and that would be a great opportunity for me to be able to say, Hey, listen, I'm New York state accredited. And which is huge. I mean, if you're, if you get into New York state, that's one of the most uh, difficult, you know, to be able to be accredited and, you know, they have the the most regulations and, and things like that. So, I remember going to Texas one time (laughs) as an application specialist. To uh, we we used to install digital X-ray machines, and so I had to train the X-ray techs. And so Texas, if you ever get X-rays in Texas, be careful (laughs) (laughs) because uh, this this kid. uh, Anyway, it's I'm not going to give you a whole thing on taking X-rays, but there is some danger with radiation, and if you don't know what you're doing as an X-ray tech, you could you could really do some damage, you know. And and uh, so this kid just has this. I mean, he's taking just like a hand x-ray or something. And he's got the thing open wide, the shutters, open to like you're taking a whole body x-ray, you know, oh. a <laughs> yeah, chest x-ray. And I'm like, well, why don't you zoom that down? You know, it's, you know the x-rays don't go everywhere. And, and he's like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's fine, you know. And so I asked <laughs> him, I said, well, where did you go to school? And and he said, ah, I've never been to school. Wow. <laughs> I <was> just trained <laughs> for a couple weeks. <laughs> and I said, wow, I can't believe it. So uh, So anyway, so <laughs> long story short. Uh, it would be great. It'd be great if they get an extra machine out here. But,, uh, yeah, I've kept that accreditation up. So if it does open up, it'd be another opportunity to be able to just uh, you know be able to be a little bit more of a witness here in the village. Yeah,
1: it'd be a great way to witness the to, to folks of, you know getting getting x-rays maybe folks that you wouldn't normally see, right, or have the opportunity right. to speaking of x-rays, yeah, tell me exactly. tell me if this is maybe a little dangerous. I, I saw I think it's through Twitter. I, I've been, following some folks on Twitter, some Christians and stuff. And one of the things that popped up, and I don't think it was from them though, was a um, airport and it wasn't in the United States, but it was an airport that has that baggage claim thing. And a guy, yes. the guy started to just to walk through the, you know, the, with a screener thing where they, you know, you have to raise your arms and all that stuff. And the guy told him, you know, no, go back. We're not you know, ready or something. It Turns out he misunderstood what he said and he, he put his uh, bag on the uh, conveyor belt through the where they x ray that and he sat on that thing and went all the way through and came out the other end. <laughs>
3: <night. laughs> wow,
1: now that probably can't be good for you, right?
3: <laughs> no, I would say not, <laughs> but you know, I mean, x ray machines for humans that you know they have uh things set in place so that uh you don't get too much, hopefully, you know, if the x ray tech's doing it right, but. That's the other thing they were saying too is that a lot of the people, I mean, almost everybody um, that like the TSA, they are they go hardly through any um, radiation training. So that's a scary thing. Is and actually that was in the American Registry of Radiologic Technologists, the magazine. I remember many years ago, um, or I think it was ASRT magazine, that they were saying, "Listen, these it's not right that these people um, are." are taking x-rays and doing other images and things like that without really any knowledge of the dangers of, uh, you know, x-rays and things right. like that. So so that's, uh, you know, every time I go through an airport, which is, you know, a, a decent amount, uh, I always think, boy, this is pretty scary.
1: So. Yeah. So it looks like we are in a uh, technological scientific bent here. We started with Dr. <laughs> Dr. Brown, we, 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 you yeah. on x-rays, and now we're going to go to Pastor Strobel. Pastor Strobel, do you have any scientific background or anything? Uh,
4: First Timothy 6.20, pretty much. <laughs> and what is that? Yeah. About uh, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely
1: so-called.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, a I'm a babbler. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Pastor Steve is not here this evening. He is out on assignment in Fredonia, New York. He's uh, catching, I think... Um, evangelist sam gip is he still considered he's still the evangelist right
4: he is yes yeah.
1: so he hopefully te- i'm sorry
4: i was gonna say he does teach at a bible uh school in idaho but he uh takes meetings as well
1: so he's
3: still on the road too
1: um i
3: think he's the director there now too isn't he Is he know the directors
1: <laughs> yep yep he's in charge right now he's he, one of the folks i follow on twitter He has the stuff up there every now and then um Anything new and exciting happening in Lockport, New York?
4: Um nope. I mean it's I guess as far as for me, I could just tell you, you know, I'm saved by the Son of God.
1: Amen. Sec-
4: secured by the Spirit of God and right now spent in the service of God. Amen. And a wee bit tired.
1: So. Amen. Well I'm glad you could still join us. <laughs> yes. And Dr. Brown's gonna he's gonna liven things up here for you to, to grab your attention.
2: I'm, amen. I'm looking forward to it. And we've got movies and everything. <laughs>
1: Hang on to your hats, folks. We've got a good one here. God or goo? Dr. Brown, are you ready? I'm ready when you are. All right. I'm going to give you the intro music, and then it's all yours. Here you go.
2: Well, I'd like to open up as we begin this study. Just open up with a word of prayer, ask the Lord's blessing as we dive in. Lord, I do thank you for this opportunity that I have to open your word and really just see what you have to say about some of these issues that we come across in life. In this case, a rather big issue. I pray that you would just guide this study. um, Help me to say what you want me to say and accomplish what you want to accomplish through this. And we leave those uh, results up to you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So. The title of our study today, God or Goo? A Biblical and Scientific Investigation of Our Past. There's. I want to cover a lot of ground, so I'm going to try to move quickly, and you may not have a time to turn to the different passages that we go to, but I guess you have the advantage of being able to hit pause if you want to. If you're listening to the recording of this, um, turn to those passages or just make notes of them as we go through. So we are talking about uh, God argue a biblical and scientific investigation of our past, and you can guarantee that one of the main words that's going to come up in this study is that E word, evolution. Now, I've, I believe that this is one of the biggest issues facing Christians today, and I hope by the end of the study, not just today, but it'll be several parts, uh, that you'll have a better grasp at being able to deal with this and face this and perhaps answer questions that come up. Uh, through, through life. So I want to start off by asking a different question, a completely unrelated question. And in fact, when you hear this question, you're going to wonder, where in the world am I going with this? But just trust me, uh, there is a method to the madness. So this has nothing to do with the topic at first.
5: <clears throat>
2: so the question I want to pose, do you believe in Aliens. Do you believe in aliens? Now I know you thought we were talking about uh, God and goo, but I want to start by talking about aliens. Do you believe in aliens? So I don't know about you, but when I hear that word, I picture some green guys, little green men flying around in spaceships. Well it, it turns out that the Bible actually mentions aliens. For instance, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 34, we read, this is talking about the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, and it says, they quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. So there it is, the Bible believes in aliens. Ah, but there's more. The United States government believes in aliens. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not joking here. I had to hack into Area 51 to find this document. But it says, <clears throat> this is a document from the United States Congress in 1798, and it's called the Alien and Sedition Acts. The very first words state an act concerning aliens. So there you have it, folks. The United States government believes in aliens. That's not all. The United States president, our current president, believes in aliens. Uh, He was quoted, this. Donald Trump was quoted in 2011, he he wrote, In 2011, there were 351,000 criminal, illegal aliens in our prisons. So there it is, the Bible mentions aliens. Our government believes in aliens. Our president believes in aliens. So at this point, you might be thinking, and you would rightfully be thinking, wait a second. What do you mean by alien? What do you mean by that word? So, again, I don't know about you, but when I hear aliens, I tend to think of these little green guys flying around in spaceships. However... If you check up the word alien in a dictionary, you will come across this definition. And it actually sounds quite boring when you read it. An alien is a noun that is a citizen of a country other than the one he or she is currently in. Yeah, that's all an alien is. Uh, it's basically another term for foreigner. So alien is is one of those words that has two different meanings. And that means the next time someone asks you, do you believe in aliens? You might want to ask, what do you mean by aliens? Okay, did you catch that? The next time someone asks you, do you believe in aliens? You might want to ask, what do you mean by aliens? All right, and what in the world is all of this talk about aliens? This is not what we were expecting. Well, believe it or not, you now hold the key to dealing with this issue of evolution. You now hold the key. You are now more prepared than 99% of the people you will run into to deal with this topic of evolution. Let's see if you, you got the key. <clears throat> all right, here it comes. The next time someone asks, do you believe in evolution what are you going to say well you might want to ask what do you mean by evolution this is the key Uh, there's so much confusion about this this issue and I guarantee you by the end of perhaps not today I mean today is just the an introduction but by the end of the the three sessions that we use to cover this this is going to make a lot of sense and you'll feel very prepared to engage on this topic and have discussions about this topic Um, so yeah what do you mean by evolution let's just get this out of the way really quickly right here at the beginning there's part of evolution that is actually fact It's observable, it's testable, it is scientific. But then there's a large part of evolution that's fiction. It's unobservable, it's untestable, and it is consequently unscientific. And our goal in this study is to disentangle this issue by approaching it from a biblical perspective. So, again, I think this is one of the biggest questions facing Christians today. You just run into it all the time. But I'm going to leave it up to you to decide how important it really is. For the time being, it's good enough for me that it's just incredibly interesting. I, I find I really enjoy reading about this topic, learning about this topic, discussing this topic. So so that's my motivation. It's fun to talk about it. And I'll leave it up to you to decide how important this is for you as a Christian. So I want to start off um, borrowing from... Uh, Pastor Strobel, what he did a few weeks ago. Uh, So if you have a piece of paper or something, or just you can construct this in your head, I want you to build a, write some things down. So for starters, at the top of your paper, write in the beginning, dot, 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 in the beginning, dot, dot. And I didn't tell you this, but hopefully you put that maybe in the center of your paper. All right. And right underneath that, I want you to draw a line dividing your paper into two columns. So you have in the beginning dot, 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 and then a line separating it into two columns. So we're going to look in the next uh, or in the three studies, we're going to look at these three issues. So the first one. On the left side of the column, I want you to write the word God. And on the right side of the column, I want you to write the word goo. That is spelled G-O-O, in case you were wondering. Goo. So, that's part one. That's what we're going to talk about today. God or goo. In the beginning, God, or in the beginning, goo. Okay, right underneath of that, on the left-hand side of Your paper in the left column, I want you to write, created. Created. And then on the right side, I want you to write, evolved. Evolved. So, this is part two. This will be in our next study. In the beginning, God created, or in the beginning, goo, evolved. And so we'll be comparing created or evolved in part two. And then, finally, um, on the left-hand side of your paper, in the left column, I want you to write, underneath of the others, I want you to write on purpose. Those two words, on purpose. And then on the right side, I want you to write the two words by accident. By accident accident so part three is going to be on purpose or by accident and you can kind of see how this all goes together so our options are when we talk about origins in the beginning god created on purpose or in the beginning goo evolved by chance by accident so there that just gives you an overview of where we're going to be uh, heading next few studies but let's start off with part one god or goo so a a russian atheist astronomer once came to the united states he was touring around talking at some universities and he made this profound statement he said either there is a god or there isn't both possibilities are frightening and that about sums it up What you believe about God, about if there is a God, about who this God is, really influences how you answer the big questions of life. And when I'm talking about the big questions of life, I'm talking about these questions that everybody has. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are, how educated, uneducated you are. uh, The big questions of life. These are the questions of where did I come from? This is the question of the past. Uh, the other questions: uh, Where am I going? The question of the future. <clears throat> Sometimes this comes across as: uh, What happens after I die? What? What is there life after death? The question of the future. And the third question, the third big question of life: What am I doing? So this is the question of the present, or, or you could say, the question of purpose. So it comes across in many ways. Like, is there any purpose in life? Is there any meaning to all of my life? Um, So what am I doing? And it turns out how you answer that first question, the where did I come from question, actually influences how you answer the other two questions. And that's why we're going to be in these three weeks focusing on that first question, the where did I come from. Now, before I get into that, I want to insert here a big the disclaimer, I, uh, if you were to look, if you were sitting in the dentist's office in 2006 and you glanced down on the coffee table in front of you as you're waiting for your appointment, you might see to the front cover of Time magazine. And on the front cover of Time magazine, you would see, this was 2006, you would see these three words, God versus science, God versus science. <clears throat> now, this is often how this discussion is, is uh, shown or expressed, or that people say that you've got God over here on one side, and then you have science over here on the other side. Uh, and if you believe in god then you don't believe in science or you can't have anything to do with science or if you believe in science and if you do science you can't have anything to do with god so i'm going to just start off with this disclaimer that it's not actually god versus science so what is science actually if you were to just check this up in a dictionary <clears throat> science at its most basic definition that word science simply means knowledge and knowledge can of course be good knowledge or bad knowledge but science at its core just means knowledge for instance many words in our English language actually use the word science within the word to mean knowledge for instance conscience if you consider the word conscience it has the prefix con which means with and then the suffix science knowledge so the conscience is like it means with knowledge it's this inner knowledge that we have built into us um, Another word that you would recognize, the word omniscience. So <clears throat> this word has the prefix omni, which means all. And then at the end of the word, science, which is, means knowledge. So omniscience means all knowledge. So at its core, science just means knowledge. Now, when we're talking about science in the laboratory setting, uh, what you typically think of when you think of science, the test tubes, the beakers, then you're talking about something called empirical science. Empirical science is knowledge that's gained through observation and experimentation. Now here's a critical point. Empirical science only deals with the present, only deals with the here and now. And this is, this makes a lot of sense. This because the past is in the past. And consequently, it cannot be experimented on. It's gone, it's in the past. Empirical science only deals with the present. So a scientist is simply someone who makes observations and performs experiments to gain knowledge about the present. And I would argue that uh, the, the vast majority of science is good there's, there is a large portion of it that delves into, that, that starts to delve into spiritual matters, so to speak. Um, but when it comes to, for instance, uh, Matt was talking about radiology, that's a science. And, and there's a lot of good observation and experimentation to show that he should close that shutter so he's not blasting his patient full of x-rays. That, that's science right there. Uh, and in fact, we are all really scientists by nature, every one of us here. It, it, what you're studying might be different, but you're still a scientist. For instance, my wife makes fantastic no bake cookies. So these are no bake cookies because you actually just, you know, you cook them on in a frying pan or in a, in a dish and, uh, on the stove top, and it's really tricky. I'm telling you, she makes the best no bake cookies, and it's an art. But it's also a science. <clears throat> you have to uh, bring them to a boil for just the right amount of time. If it's too long, then they harden and the sugar crystallizes and it's kind of nasty and crumbly. If it's too short, then they don't harden properly and they are runny, no-bake cookies. But she has it down to a science. In fact, you could call her a cookieologist. That's all it is. She learned this through observation and experimentation. That is empirical science. Now, you don't get a PhD for studying how to bake no-bake cookies, but the idea is the same. So we are all scientists by nature. Um, Just to give some quick kind of examples of uh, empirical science that I've worked on as, as I've gone through my education during my master's degree. Which was at the University of West Florida, I worked on Alzheimer's disease in, of all things, fruit flies. Now, this is Drosophila melanogaster. Fruit flies don't actually get Alzheimer's disease, but it just so happens that fruit flies have some of the same proteins which in humans cause Alzheimer's disease. So, you can perform experiments in the fruit flies to learn how these proteins are functioning. That was the uh, what I worked on during my master's degree. And then during my PhD, I studied embryonic development in mice in order to understand the causes of birth defects, the genetic causes of birth defects. I, in particular, focused on a birth defect called exencephaly. It's when the brain doesn't develop properly within, within the mouse. And there are many similarities between how the mouse brain develops and the human brain develops. So by studying these things in the mouse, you can make application to human health and development that's the thinking behind it now here's a point that i want to make how uh, when you talk about how a mouse develops <clears throat> it goes through what's called a zygote stage and then that's a single cell stage that's that's how it starts and that single cell divides and it forms a, a sphere of cells And then those cells divide, and that's called a marula. Those cells divide further, and it forms a blastocyst, which is a hollow ball of cells. And then that blastocyst develops into an embryo, and eventually you have a baby mouse. It takes about 19 to 21 days. It's actually amazing how fast these guys reproduce, which uh, explains some things if you have lots of mice in your house right now. So it goes, zygote, marula, blastocyst, embryo, baby mouse. Now, it doesn't matter whether you are a Christian or an atheist. It doesn't matter. The mouse develops the same. If you're a Christian and you look under a microscope and you study mouse development, it goes from a zygote to a marula to a blastocyst to an embryo to a baby mouse. If you're an atheist, it goes from a zygote to a marula to a blastocyst to an embryo to a baby mouse. This is empirical science. It's ha- it's something we can observe here and now in the present. And that is what science, empirical science, is great at. However, if we were to ask a different question, if we were to ask the question, where did this system of mouse development come from? This whole big cycle, the the zygote, where did all of that come from? You see how we just moved the question from the present into the past, we have therefore moved outside the realm of true laboratory science, of empirical science. We are entering the realm of faith. So, this is exactly the same thing that happens when we try to answer the question, where did I come from? So, let's do that. Where did I come from? Well, it just so happens that's in the Bible. Uh, let's start. In fact, if you turn to the very first verse of the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible, you will find these words in the beginning, God. If you ha- go ahead and turn there, if you've got a Bible with you, because we're gonna, you know, I thought about talking about Genesis chapter one and what comes up in Genesis chapter one, but. Even better, let's just read Genesis chapter one. It's it's not a long chapter. It's a little longer than of a passage than I would typically want to read. But I think for this purpose, um, let's let the Bible speak for itself. We're just gonna read Genesis chapter one. I'm not going to make very many comments on it at all. I just wanna we, we should start by hearing what the Bible has to say. I'm going to recruit some of the other fellows to help with the reading. So, if you guys are there and available um, and you have your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, let's just start reading through it. Um, take five verses a piece. It'll go around the horn a couple times. I guess I'll start, and then we can go Eric, Matt, Pastor Strobel, and then back around the loop. Okay, you guys good? Good. Okay. Sounds good. Here we go Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat>
1: And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good.
3: And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass and herb-yielding seed, and the fruit tree-yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself, upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb-yielding seed after his kind, and the tree-yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, "...let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven, to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven, to give light upon the earth." And it was so.
4: And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good." and the evening and the morning were the fourth day and god said let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven
2: and god created great whales and every living creature that moveth which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind and god saw that it was good and god blessed them and blessed them saying be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping things, and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after his kind, and, after, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good.
1: And God said, Let us make man in our image and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day.
2: All right, thank you. So again, I'm not going to try to expound on this or improve on this or try to uh, make it better in any sort of way. I think it's fantastic how God, in the very first chapter of the Bible, answers this question where did we come from and he does it simply with in the beginning god created and he saw fit to even give us some details about how that worked um, you read this chapter and it if you just read this chapter and were to summarize what had happened you would come up with well god made everything in six days that's that's clearly what's happened here the Bible is a history book, and so there, there's so much more here in the Bible. If you read further, which we're not going to take time to do here and now, but you can run into genealogies, and the Bible gives some very precise lengths of times for how long certain people lived and how long their generations were. And you can go through the Bible on your own and add these up and keep track of this, some years and some dates. And what you would come up with if you were just looking straight at the Bible, taking God's word for it, You would say that god made everything in six days about six to ten thousand years ago something on the order of thousands of years ago so in case you missed it though in genesis chapter one this is peppered throughout the entire bible if you look at the next book exodus 2011 it says for in six days the lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that in them is and rested the seventh day wherefore the lord blessed the sabbath day and hallowed it keep reading in psalm 33 verse 6 by the word of the lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth psalm 121 1 and 2 i will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help my help cometh from the lord which made heaven and earth Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth with thy by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. And then perhaps my favorite one, John chapter 1, verse 3, talking about the deity of Christ. Speaking of Christ as God, it says, All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Now, sometimes the Bible can be difficult to understand, you know, especially that King James English. And when it says, all things were made by him, what it's actually saying is all things were made by him. You just can't make it any more plain than that. And that's what I love about the verse and about the Bible in general. It just states outright that, where did I come from? I came from the handiwork of God. God created us. So I'm going to call this the biblical worldview. Um, The in the beginning God. That's the biblical worldview. And it looks something like this. About 6,000 years ago, God made everything in six days. All right. That sounds good to me. I'll go with that. So we could end the program right here. And we would be doing pretty well for ourselves. However. You don't need to live very long to realize that there's another idea out there. There's something else floating around, and I like to call this in the beginning goo. All right, but don't take my word for it. So, Eric, you want to cue up that first clip and I'm going to set the stage here. I borrowed this in the beginning goo from a very sound scientific source known as Star Trek. So Eric's going to play a clip here and what this clip is, there's this character in Star Trek, his name is Q and Q takes this other guy, Captain Picard, he takes him back in time to the beginning of life on planet Earth and some 3.5 billion years ago. And this is what Q has to say. Go ahead. Come here. There's something I want to show you. You see this? This is you. I'm serious. Right here. Life is about to form on this planet for the very first time. A group of amino acids are about to combine to form the first protein, the building blocks (laughs) of what you call life. Strange, isn't it? Everything you know, your entire civilization, it all begins right here in this little pond of goo. All right. So did you catch that? Goo, a three-syllable word there. Uh, that is, according to Star Trek, where we all came from, a little pond of goo. Now, <clears throat> let's look at a slightly more, quote-unquote, scientific source. Uh, you just hear, This is a science blog, Live Science, and they say, quote, Life on Earth first bloomed around 3.7 billion years ago when chemical compounds in a primordial soup— also known as goo, somehow sparked into life, scientists suspect. So what you're seeing here is the other worldview, which I'm going to call the evolutionary worldview. And to summarize it, it looks something like this. About 14.5 billion, with a B, years ago, the universe exploded into existence from absolutely nothing. By the way, that's that's actually what they say from absolutely nothing. So, in fact, I should be calling this in the beginning nothing. But that doesn't roll off the tongue quite as nicely. So we're sticking with in the beginning goo. So about 14.5 billion years ago, the universe exploded into existence from absolutely nothing. About 4.6 billion years ago, the Earth formed about 3 billion years ago. The earliest life forms appeared on Earth. That was the goo part of the Star Trek. And about three million years ago, the first humans appeared. So there you have it. In the beginning, God, the biblical worldview that we read from the Bible. And in the beginning, goo, the evolutionary worldview. Now, I've been using this term worldview kind of here and there. Uh, so what, are, what am I talking about there? Th- this term is not found in, in the Bible. It's, uh, I, I think it's a useful word in describing uh, how we look at the world around us. That's really what I'm talking about when I say worldview. It's the way we look at the world around us. And I like to think of it like a pair of glasses, that everybody is wearing some pair of glasses through which they interpret the world. Um, the lenses... In those glasses are the core assumptions or the core beliefs that each one of us hold and it doesn't matter who you are that this is a common misconception some people think like oh you're a Christian so you believe things I'm an atheist I, I I have no faith I don't believe believe in things I am purely objective that's not true everyone is wearing some pair of glasses and it has some lenses in there which are their core assumptions or their core beliefs. This includes myself as well as anybody else out there. So uh, let's look at the basic assumptions of the biblical worldview. Number one, and I, I kind of boil it down to two. So number one, there is a God. This is something that I believe. And if you're a Bible-believing Christian, this is something that you believe. It's just a fundamental Aspect of the biblical worldview. In fact, you have to. Uh, it says in Hebrews eleven six, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. So that's fundamental, uh, the core belief number one. There is a God, but then the second one is really the crux of the issue here. The second core belief that a Bible, the biblical worldview has, is that the Bible is actually God's word. Now think about what that means. I mean, this is called, that's in the Bible. But when we say that's in the Bible, yeah, sure, the Bible's a book. But what we're actually saying is that this book is not just the words of men, but it is the words of God, just like Paul writing to the Thessalonians. And he says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, for this cause also, thank we God without ceasing, because when ye, the Thessalonians, received the word of God, which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. And I believe this is the central issue in the world today, and I believe this is the central issue throughout human history. In fact, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, do you remember when the serpent, uh, the, the Satan? through the serpent, approaches Eve. Do you remember the first words out of the serpent's mouth? It says there in Genesis 3, 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said unto the woman, first words here, it says, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Question mark. So the very first word out of Satan's mouth was, a question trying to cause Eve to doubt God's word. This has been the central issue throughout human history. Uh, And he, of course, the goal for the devil is not to uh, get us just to doubt God's word, but just like with Eve, he wants us to deny God's word. So in Genesis 3, 4, the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. So now he's moved from causing her to doubt to causing her to deny, to try to deny God's word. And then ultimately, the devil was able to get her to disobey God's word. And it says in Genesis 3, 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, thereby disobeying God's word. So God's word has been the central issue throughout human history. And in fact, if you're here today, and you're saved, you got saved by believing the Bible. I got saved by believing God's Word, the Bible. So, okay, if you guys want to turn your mics back on, I'm going to give you, I want you guys to fill in the blank, and all you listeners, you know, fill in this blank to help drive home this point. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, and 4 for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures bingo and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. scriptures so so there you have it you know the uh if you're saved you got saved by believing the Bible, Bible believing what the scriptures had to say about Christ dying for our sins and rising from the dead on the third day. So when we look through these, when we use these assumptions, these beliefs that there is a God and that the Bible is God's word, and we look through those lenses, we come up with the answer in the beginning, God, or where did we come from? Now, Let's look at the evolutionary worldview, and this is where, uh, so I boiled the evolutionary world down, worldview down to one basic core belief, one basic core assumption that they're making. And this is a $10 word. It's the only big word I'm going to throw out there, but it is naturalism, so this one basic assumption or the basic belief of the evolutionary worldview is naturalism, or you could say uh, materialism. That would be a pretty good synonym for it as well. But naturalism, again, if you were to just look this up in the dictionary, it's a noun. It's a system of thought that rejects all spiritual and supernatural explanations of the world. Translation, naturalism means no God allowed. So don't take my word for it. Here is a quote from Richard Dickerson. He's an evolutionist, a scientist. And he says, quote, science fundamentally is a game. It is a game with one overriding and defining rule. Rule number one, let us see how far and to what extent we can explain the behavior of the physical and material universe in terms of purely physical and material causes without invoking the supernatural Translation, no God allowed. This is the fundamental assumption behind the evolutionary worldview. Now, this poses a little bit of a problem.
5: <clears throat>
2: think, think of a painting, um, a famous painting. Let's say the uh, the Mona Lisa. All right, suppose you were asked to explain the origin of the Mona Lisa, but... Here's the one rule no painter allowed. You have to explain the origin of the Mona Lisa with no painter allowed. Now, if you were creative enough and you thought hard enough and long enough, you would probably be able to come up with some elaborate explanation of how the right pigments came at the right time and sprinkled in the right places on this canvas and, and, and brought together this painting of the Mona Lisa. You could come up with something, but it wouldn't actually be true because, in fact, the Mona Lisa had a painter. It was painted by Leonardo da Vinci. So you see a painting, you know there must be a painter. This is pretty basic and straightforward. The problem with the evolutionary worldview is is they've excluded the possibility of there being a god. Let me show this to you. I'm going to show you some real-life examples of the glasses, the evolutionists are wearing when they're interpreting the world around them. Um, So, for the purposes of this exercise, we're going to look at the question of how did the first life forms arise on planet Earth? We'll be looking at this more in week two, but just for the purposes of seeing the worldview glasses that evolutionists are wearing, um, this is the question we're going to look at. And I'm going to read some quotes from different biology textbooks. I, I like to collect biology textbooks in high school and college and Uh, I also have a a video clip here. Of course, it won't be a video if you're listening, but um, you'll you'll see what I'm going for. As we're reading these and listening to them, I want you to look for keywords that indicate the worldview. Look for words like had to or must have. This is indicating that these people don't know how, but based on their worldview, it had to happen this way. Here we go. So let's see, this first quote I got here, this is from uh, a a high school biology textbook, The Unity and Diversity of Life, published in 1992, and it says, just a simple quote here, speaking of the origins of life, the first self-replicating systems must have emerged in this organic soup. Did you see that? The must have. Now, wait a second, I have another idea. Maybe they were created. Ah, ah, ah. No God allowed. So do you see the glasses? Oh, Let's look at another one. I think this one is... Uh, I think this is also a high school textbook. It's a biology textbook published in 2014. <clears throat> so I'm reading along through here, and it says, most scientists study the origin of life by assuming that it originated from non-living matter on Earth. But... Now, let me tell you, when I was reading this, and I got to this statement, and they said, but, for a moment, I thought, no way, are they actually going to um, give the possibility that it was created? (laughs) So let's see what they say. Most scientists study the origin of life by assuming that it originated from non-living matter on Earth, but some scientists consider a possible extraterrestrial origin of life life. Here come the aliens again. Uh, But catch this. This is the important part of the quote. They want to make sure they cover all their bases. Quote, nonetheless, even if a living organism arrived from space, life would still have had to arise from non-living matter in a similar way on the organism's home planet. Uh, Wait a second. I have another idea. Maybe life was created here on planet Earth. Uh, uh, Uh-uh-uh. No God allowed. Do you see the glasses that they're wearing? So this next one is a clip. Um, So you'll hear the audio of this interview. This this comes from a documentary produced by Ben Stein called Expelled. And it's an interview between Ben Stein and Richard Dawkins. Now, Richard Dawkins is not a creationist, to say the least. He is, in fact, the... I would say he's the leading atheist uh, apostle. Um, they have their apostles as well. He's he's one of the leading atheist apostles, very well known. Uh, and he is, Ben Stein is interviewing him about the origin of life. So go ahead, Eric. Who did create the heavens and the earth?
0: Why do you use the word who? You see, you, you, you immediately beg the question by using the word who. Well, then how did it get created? Well, um... By a very slow process. Well, how did it start? Nobody knows how, how it started. We know the kind of event that it must have been. We know the sort of event that, that must have happened for the origin of life. What was that? It was the origin of the first self-replicating molecule. Right. How did that happen? I told you, we don't know. So you have no idea how it started? No, no. no nor has no, anybody. Nor has anyone, anyone else. else.
2: All right. So, so there's a lot in there. <clears throat> Uh, But what I want you to focus on, you notice how at the end he says he has no idea how it started. Nobody does. But the quote I want to pull out is you hear him when he said, we know, despite not knowing how it started and that nobody knows how it started, we know the kind of event it must have been. We know the sort of event that must have happened. Uh, Speaking purely of this naturalistic worldview. So do you see the glasses there? And you might raise your hand and say, oh wait, I I have another possibility that you haven't considered. What if it was created by God? No God allowed. That is the fundamental faith claim of the evolutionary worldview is naturalism, that all things arose with no God allowed. But again, don't take my word for it. I wanna read one more quote here and it's just amazing. This is from Richard Lowenton. A, uh, he was a Harvard evolutionary biologist, uh, mathematician, and geneticist. He is now retired. He's still alive, but hes um, I think he's 90 now. So he, he's no longer active in, in science. But this is a quote he made. And he says, Our willingness to accept scientific claims that are against common sense is the key to an understanding of the real struggle between science and the supernatural. We take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories, because we have a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism. Moreover, that materialism is absolute, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. Well, he said it better than I could. And this is exactly what you're dealing with when you're dealing with the evolutionary worldview. It's not that these people have approached this objectively and said, okay, let's, let's see what the evidence says. These people have a belief. they have It's almost like a religion. They have a faith and their core belief is this naturalism that there's no God allowed. So there you have it. We have the biblical worldview in the beginning God in the evolutionary worldview, in the beginning goo. And as we wrap out up here, I need to I mean we just need to face the fact and come out and state it. things that are different are not the same we have the Biblical worldview and the evolutionary worldview. The Biblical world, worldview in Genesis 1 talks about the earth being formed first, and then God creates the sun and the stars. In the evolutionary worldview, the sun and the stars are come to be before the earth. In the biblical worldview, oceans before land. In the evolutionary worldview, land before oceans. Biblical worldview, plants before the sun. Evolutionary worldview, the sun before the plants. <clears throat> biblical worldview, life started on land. Plants being the first. Evolutionary worldview. Life started at sea. Marine creatures first. Biblical worldview. Birds before land animals. Evolutionary worldview. Land animals evolved into birds. Biblical worldview. A short time period. We're talking thousands of years. Evolutionary worldview. A long time period. We're talking millions and billions of years. And then most important, well, these last two are real critical. The biblical worldview Man brought death into the world. We're told in Romans that, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so then death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So, in the biblical worldview, man brought death into the world. In the evolutionary worldview, death brought man into the world. That's how evolution works. The weaker die off. Death brought man into the world. In the biblical worldview, God created man in the evolutionary worldview. Man created God. And look, things that are different are not the same. And unfortunately, a funny thing happens whenever the word of God does not match the word of man. Guess which one Christians try to change? They always Try to change and correct and update and improve on the Word of God. So uh, let me show you an example of that. Here's a quote from Crawford Toy. Uh, You don't really have to know who he is. I don't really know who he is, except that he he lived over a century ago. And he was kind of a theological bigwig. He taught at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary until he was dismissed for some of his views on Scripture. And this is what Crawford Toy says. Quote, The Bible intends to teach a plain six-day creation. The Bible is simply in error at that point. End quote. Well, that's it. And so so here's a guy who you know claimed to believe in the Bible, and he says, yeah, the Bible meant to teach that God created everything in six days. I agree with that. And his solution is, well, the Bible's just wrong about that. Here's another example. Uh, This is from a a newspaper clipping uh, from Maine, the state of Maine. Uh, And the heading of the article is, Churches Preparing for Evolution Sunday. So, uh, Pastor Strobel, I don't know if you want to incorporate Evolution Sunday into your next uh, Upcoming services, but here's some options for you. And it says, More than 400 congregations of different Christian denominations will also mark the occasion by participating in Evolution Sunday, a day to discuss and celebrate the compatibility of religion and science. More than 10,000 clergy members have signed the letter which states in part that we believe the theory of evolution is a foundational scientific truth one that has stood up to rigorous scrutiny. Now, come on. You got to think here. Uh, here we have God's word, we have the Bible, and Christians just falling over themselves to toss out God's word in exchange for man's word. Now, wait a minute. If uh, I'd like to use a quote from Jesus Christ. It's a very thought-provoking question that Jesus asked. He says in John chapter 3, verse 12, Jesus speaking here, If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe me if I tell you of heavenly things? Well, that's a really good question. So you're telling me that you believe in a God that you've never seen, who came to earth as a man that you've never seen, to die on a cross that you've never seen, to save you from a hell that you've never seen, and take you to a heaven that you've never seen. And that same God tells us how he made the world that we can see and we don't believe him. You know, it just doesn't make sense to me. the, The way how quickly Christians just throw the Bible aside and adopt the latest theory coming down the pike. So just for once, Just for once, we're going to do this the other way around. If there's a difference between God's word and man's word, then maybe there's something wrong with man's word. And so our goal in the next several sessions, I don't know if we'll actually have these consecutive, but we'll drop them in as as appropriate, is to look at this in some detail and, and to take a serious look at the issue. So starting today was God or goo really just an introduction to the topic. The next one is created or evolved. And in this one, we're going to get into the science and look at the world around us, look at the science around us, and see whether the biblical worldview or the evolutionary worldview provides a better explanation. So just to bring us back to the beginning, when someone asks, do you believe in evolution? I always say, what do you mean by evolution? Are you talking about the naturalistic worldview that seeks to explain the origin of the universe, all life, and you, with no God allowed? And if that's the case, then I don't have enough faith to believe in evolution. In closing, Psalm 95, 3-6, through six, for the Lord our God for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Back to you, Eric. Thanks.
1: Amen. Well, thank you, Joel. That was, that was excellent. Uh, you know, and and, and listening to uh, particularly the, the quotes from those textbooks and the, and the uh, quote from Dawkins, it's fascinating to hear them say they don't, they don't really, they don't really know. I like that. I think it's interesting. They also say, well, nobody can know, but they say they don't know. And, but yet they still believe it somehow happened, which, leads me to to think that uh, there is a lot of faith going on here that they don't like to admit to, right and oh, yeah and it it, it smacks of a, a religion to me, you know when you talk about that worldview of of faith which they don't really have the answers for and can't prove anything, you know it's i don't i don't I see a lot more proof for the Bible and Christianity than I do you know billions of years ago. Something came from nothing. It's just I I don't have that kind of faith.
2: Yeah, good way to put it there, Eric.
1: So what do you guys think?
4: Hey Amen. I guess I should chime in and say um if we do have any kind of an evolution Sunday, it's gonna be an anti evolution Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> so now now I might be thinking about that. <laughs> I want to expand on one point that uh, Brother Joel emphasized in Genesis 1-1, and he he hit this a a couple times in succession. But uh, it had to do with how that God answered the question of where we came from right in the beginning of the Bible. And I think that is um, key as well. I mean, that's where he starts, hits the ground running. Uh, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The the word Genesis, that's in Genesis 1-1, and the word Genesis means the origin of something. And of course, that's something you can look up for yourself as well. It's not something that uh, me as a preacher, I'm just making up and throwing out. Um, that's what that book is about in the Bible. It's showing you where we came from and how things got started. Now I want you to think about this. Um, he talked about how that's right there in the first verse of the first chapter of the first book of the Bible. <clears throat> so think about this. Uh, we're talking about the universe. And if you want to know where the universe came from, all you need to do is look at the uni-verse. Mm-hmm. Uni means one, like unicycle. Um, one wheel, a one-wheel thing that you try to ride on. So to find out the origin of the universe, look at the uni-verse. English is an interesting language. The Bible's an interesting book. Amen. Uni-one, the the one verse, the first verse, the first verse, the first chapter, the first book in the Bible, that's the universe, Genesis 1 1. Mm-hmm. Amen. That, and there it is. That's how the universe got here. It's a strange thing. We call the we call the individual little parts of the Bible that we divide up into. We divide them up the smallest part is in those verses. And so there that's just kind of an interesting thing the Lord has allowed to be incorporated into the Amen. English uh, language uh interestingly enough on visitation saturday i came in across a young lady a girl maybe in her late teens early 20s and um you know right away gave her a track which she originally took um and explained to me that she was a satanist and her roommate was Wiccan and so i i was very kind with her and you know kind of just tried to draw out my salt herb and and we got talking about the origin of the universe. And um, I, I illustrated it like I often do uh, saying, you know, you take this apartment building that we're in right here and uh, you look at it and you know that this thing could not have just accidentally blown up and been here or just accidentally happened. And she said, no, no, there had to be a builder. So I of course apply that to the design in the natural world, (laughs) pointing to a designer and a builder behind it. And then she gave her, uh, thoughts on how it got here. And, and she was very emphatic and, and she said the way it got here was, and I quote, a rock flew into the sun. (laughs) So I, so I said, where did the sun come from? (laughs) I I, I could have said, where did the rock come from (laughs) as well? But, but she spiraled from there, uh, went on into a rant and, um, wound up setting the track down in front of her door and, and, and that ended it. And I, I, I was just hoping we could engage in a, you know, intelligent conversation, but uh, she just, she, she kind of lost it. But in retrospect, I find it interesting that the two things she pulled out was a rock and, and the, and the sun. Both of these things are things that the Bible uses in reference to Jesus Christ. Nice. And I think, I think unwittingly, you know, the Lord puts it in our, in our subconscious, in, in our being you know, that he is there. I mean, because mm-hmm. he is. But Jesus is called the Son, capital S-U-N, in this place, Malachi four <clears> two <throat> says, but unto you that fear my name shall the Son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And, of course, Peter refers to him as a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And mm-hmm. Paul refers to him as that spiritual rock that followed him, and that rock was Christ. And God the Father also is referred to as the rock in a number of places. Uh, for example, Deuteronomy thirty-two, four: He is the Rock; His work is perfect; for all His ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is He. And uh, it is, it's, it's good to know Him. Amen. Amen. The Bible, among other things, is called the truth. Amen. And that's where you'll find it, right in the book.
3: Man. yeah, it was a great study. You know, this is this is something that's really interested me for a long time. And um, you know, I remember when I graduated college, uh, like I said before, as an x-ray technologist, you know, we got into anatomy and physiology and things like that in college. And you really, really got to know a lot about um, different sciences and things like that. And And I think the sad thing is today is we, of course, know the God of this world, Second Corinthians 4, 4, uh, has blinded the minds, uh, you know, of all the people on this earth that are lost. they're They're blinded. And he is the God of this world, the devil. And so you look at the television shows, um, the news media, the radio stations, the magazines, the newspapers, the colleges, they're all pretty much owned and manipulated by the devil. And I remember when I graduated college and I I started working as an x-ray technologist. I remember a young kid, he was in his young 20s, just graduated x-ray college too. And I started working and I'd already been working for a couple of years. Anyway, he, he came and uh, you know, he wasn't saved. And I remember having a conversation with one time and he said, wait a minute, you, you, you don't believe in evolution. <laughs> and it was like, it was like, I, I made him sick. You know, <laughs> it looked like he wanted to throw up. He's like, I, I just can't believe it. And, and the sad thing is, is that that's how most, especially the younger generation today, they look at creation as just nuts. And they look at evolution as there's no doubt about it. And they don't, a lot of times, and it's not necessarily all their fault, but they don't, they don't check it out. They just hear what the professor says or what the news says, or, you know, all that. And they just take it for face value and just, and just go along with it. And, and I think the neat thing is that, that Richard Hawkins quote that he made is (laughs) very profound. And they will all say that, well, we don't really know. Nobody knows uh, how it started, how everything came to be. And that should send some huge red flags off if you're listening right now and you say, you know, I don't really believe that creation thing, you know. And, well, <laughs> it takes so much faith, as Joel has said, it takes so much faith to believe in evolution when you, when nobody else even knows how it started out to be. And I have a couple quotes by, um, there were some leading evolutionists back in the day. Uh, this guy is uh, Sir Arthur Keith. He said this evolution is unproved and unprovable unprovable we believe it only because the only alternative is special creation and that is unthinkable and then <laughs> we've got uh, Sir uh, Julian Huxley you can look him up he was a he was a big guy there but in a in a uh, uh, television interview he did for the scientific community uh, it said right here he said this I suppose the reason why we left at the Origin of Species of course that's um, Darwin and all that his book was that the idea of God interfered with our sexual mores? Uh, so, so he I can't I can't believe that he actually admitted that. But the reason why they left that, okay, yeah, let's go for evolution rather than creation creationism, is because they didn't want to think that there's a God they're accountable to. And I think a lot of times that that comes down to the fact of. If, if there is a God that did create all of us, then we're like Joel said at the end there, we're accountable to Him, and we're accountable, our sin, we're accountable to that. And, you know, I've heard, um, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, if you're a creationist, you, you know, and you're not an evolutionist, you can't really do anything good for the scientific community. Um, listen, look at Joel. I mean, <clears throat> he's, he's got, uh, you know, a doctorate going on for, I believe you said, uh, postdoctorate post and, and. There are so many scientists, there's so many doctors that are, that do believe in creationism. It's just like I said, though, the television, radio stations, magazines, uh, they pretty much silence you from, from getting out and saying that. And, you know, I remember when I was talking to this uh, young gentleman, um, weeks and weeks and weeks that we were working together he started to change his mind of thinking. He, he didn't get saved. Hopefully he got saved by now. I haven't been in contact with him, but I started to show him out of the Bible, what God says. And then I started to put some things just every once in a while, I would say, you know, what evolutionists say about those rock layers, you know, about the geological columns and everything. I said, have you ever searched that out? And he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, did you know that there's uh, fossilized trees between more than one layer of those supposed, you know, thousands of years in between? And he said, are you serious? I said, yeah, I can show you some pictures of it. And so we started going through stuff like that. And I said, see, that would totally disprove evolution. But you're not told that in school. You're not told that on TV, you know. And and, uh, so anyway, I think the big thing is, is that the only people that really get a voice today is those that are anti-God. And so if anybody's listening today, um, again, I'm, I'm, you know, big into X-ray and all that. The, the MRI, the inventor of the MRI machine. Okay. You say, well, what creationists have ever done anything real good for, you know, the scientific community? I'll give you, I'll give you one out of many. Uh, the inventor of the MRI machine was a creationist. Uh If you've ever had an MRI or have heard of somebody having an MRI, MRIs are so important in the medical field today, in the scientific community, and the inventor of that was not an evolutionist, he was a creationist, and he believed in God, he believed that God created him, he believed he was accountable to God, and uh, so that just shows you right there that uh, it's not just dumb, stupid, ignorant people (laughs) that believe in creationism, that believe in God, Uh, it's rational uh, educated inventors and scientists that believe in God as well. So I just want to put that in there that, listen, uh, God will give you strong delusion. If you want to believe a lie and go after, you know, believing that there is no God who didn't create you, he'll let you go ahead and do it, uh, but you're still accountable to him. So I hope if you're, if you're on the fence, you're listening to this, I hope you'll pray the Lord and say, Lord, would you show me the truth? I want to have a right heart. And if you are true, show me in the word of God. Amen.
1: I like the way the Bible opens up to I mean you know a lot of books they they start slow and they build up the, the Bible just v- verse 1 right out of the gate in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth I mean you know there's there's no uh if, ands, or buts um, you know that and I think that so-called scientists and uh folks that take a look at that they they choke on that very first verse right right at the beginning the other thing I wanted to ask—I think Matt, did you bring up *Origin of Species* by Darwin? Or is that you, I did,
3: Joel?
1: Yep. Do you know what the full title of that book is?
3: Uh, I, I forgot it now, but it's pretty crazy. It's, oh, and the, it's something racial, isn't it? Yeah,
1: it's on the *Origin of Species* by means of natural selection, or the preservation preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. And there's some folks that. That took that to heart, and Adolf Hitler was one of them. You know that believed that the Jews were subhuman species, and that the Aryan race, blonde, blue, you know, blue-eyed, they were the ones that were to inherit the earth. You know, you follow those 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 beliefs out. It's uh, it's frightening.
3: <laughs> well, stay tuned
2: because uh, you know that that third part, which is the um, on purpose mm-hmm. or by accident. So that's sort of where I'm going to be going with that is how when you believe that you were created on purpose by God, versus when you believe you were just an accident. Yeah. Um, that how that affects the the world around us. And there's many examples, like you alluded to.
1: Amen. Well, Joel, again, thanks for bringing that, uh, and looking forward to parts two and parts three as well. And uh, do appreciate it. Amen. Alright, the music's playing. Which means we're on our way out. Hopefully, uh Pastor Stephen Bear will be able to join us and give us an update on how the preaching was in Fredonia, New York. And Lord willing, we'll see you guys again real soon. Take care, guys.
0: morning or night or noon, many will many meet will meet their doom. Trumpets will sound. Trumpets will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise righteous be in, in the skies. Going where, Going where no one dies, heavenward by This world goodbye. Homeward we then will fly. Glory to share. Jesus is coming soon. Morning or night or noon, many will many will meet their doom. Trumpets will trumpets will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous meet in the skies. Go where going where no one dies heavenward bound. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will meet meet their doom. Trumpets will will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous be in the skies. going Going where no one dies. Heavenward